if they take that money and simply pay interest on it or pay dividends on it uh, and don't lend it out and make money themselves, that's not a very good position for them to be in. Hello, and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. I'm Laura Conaway. Today is Thursday, October 30th. It's, what is it, 4.54. I don't know why I can't read the clock. In the p.m. here in New York City. We're going to look again today at this question of whether to buy or not. It's being hotly debated on our blog. The question is whether people have stopped spending out of irrational fear and what effect that might be having on the economy. Later in the show, we're going to run another economist house call. Seriously, this guy, you don't want to be him. And uh, first, though, we want to go to the planet money indicators, uh, our favorite indicator, the TED spread. Bouncing around a tiny bit, but basically ended the day where it started. It started at 2.84. It's now at 2.82. There's an interesting question from a listener about the TED spread, which we answered on the blog. It basically tells us how anxious banks are about lending money to each other. We really want to see it well below one, and that's what we talk about on the blog. It's nowhere near one, but it's way down from its highs. Um, Another thing that I've been noticing, the – three-month treasury bond has gone down a bit. It's moved more than the TED spread has. That's not what you want to see because with the TED spread, the lower it is, the better things are. With the three-month treasury bond, the lower things are, the worse things are because people are leaving other assets for the safety of treasuries. So uh, the three-month at 0.33, that's down from 0.49 yesterday and way down from 0.89 last week. That's uh, a sign that we're not quite out of this credit crisis. I think a lot of people thought, oh, okay, that's over with. But we have evidence that's not true. Let's, let's do some more news. We talked today to a person who helps us a lot. He's become one of my favorite guests on Planet Money. His name's Amir Sufi. He's an economist and a professor of finance at the University of Chicago, where I believe you went to school, Adam. Yes, undergrad, he, but he's at the Graduate School of Business. Yeah, I don't think you got quite that far, no? No. no. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, Amir deals a lot with gross domestic product, also known as GDP. There is some real headline news today. Uh, And it it has to do with GDP. Tell me what the news is, and then let's talk about what GDP is. Okay, so the the big news number is the uh, third quarter uh, of 2008 GDP growth number came out this morning. It is a preliminary estimate, but it's basically something that we think is going to tell a story about what's going to, when the final numbers come out in the next couple months. And that number says that the U.S. economy actually shrank by 0.3%. So there was actually negative uh, GDP growth, which is... Now, can I just ask one quick question? Mm -hmm. Why do we say negative growth? I mean, nobody... Why don't we just say shrinkage or... Well, just because in terms of the percentage change, and whenever we talk about GDP, we generally talk about how is it growing over time? Did it grow by 1%, 2%? So, yeah, I mean, you can say just shrinking, but shrinking doesn't have the same kind of connotation of percentage change. So 
that's just something, you know, the way economists talk. Right. I just don't like thing. negative growth. I mean, when it grows, do we say there was negative shrinkage? Yeah, we could 8. say negative <laughs> shrinkage. <yeah. laughs> anyway, so so we're laughing, but obviously this is not a laughing matter. Ooh. This is this means that third quarter, I'm just doing the math in my head, that's July, August, September. Exactly. So during those three months, when you add up all the economic activity, all the falafels people bought and all the airplanes that people bought from Boeing and all the just all the economic activity in the exactly. US mm-hmm. there was less than the previous 3 months combined. That's exactly right. And that is very unusual. In insofar, it's not extremely unusual. For example, in the fourth quarter of 2007, we also saw ne- negative growth or shrinkage, as you would want to put it. Um, but I think the bigger headline number that is extremely daunting, daunting, and extremely worrisome to me is the consumption number. Of course, consumption is one of the primary components of GDP, and consumption is, of course, just you and I buying things. And I want to just get at this, because this was something I had to learn as when I first started being a business reporter. On the news, they'll say GDP shrunk by negative 0.3. But what what happens is that, that the U.S. government, it doesn't just release a number. It releases a huge amount of data. Of course. And, 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 and it comes to people like you finance professors and economists to sift through that data and see what's the more subtle story because negative three gd negative three percent gdp growth or three point three percent gdp shrinkage could mean a lot of different things depending on what those hidden not hidden they're publicly available but not frequently reported numbers right, right exactly exactly so to, to walk through that really quick just to give some sense of what the number means and what the kind of micro data are telling us, GDP, GDP is made up of four main components. Consumption, what you and I buy. Investment, which is what businesses actually, you know, when they buy equipment to produce goods or they build up their inventories through, you know, basically producing more of whatever they're selling. There's net exports, which is just exports minus imports, which isn't that interesting uh, from, from the perspective of the recent numbers. And then, of course, government expenditures. What the government spends is part of GDP. So consumption, investment, net exports, and, and government expenditures are the four components. So anytime we have a negative growth, as we have in this quarter, economists really quickly want to see, well, what's driving it? Is it consumption, investment, net exports, or government expenditures? Um, and so that's kind of what the data that are released by the Bureau of Economic Analysis allows us to do. So, Amir, are you about to tell us which one of those four is the guilty party here? Right. So I think uh, the thing that's pretty striking about the numbers that comes out for this quarter is that consumption really took a major hit. Households are just not buying things anymore. And that drop-off is pretty stark. To put it in historical perspective, the number is negative 3%. Uh, and that is larger. That's the largest decline in consumption since 1981. It it, re, it went down by about negative 2.9 percent in the 1990-91 recession. So we're already in that kind of territory. In the two, in the 1981 recession, consumption fell off for a number of quarters in a row at this rate. So that was a very severe recession. Uh, but it looks from this number that we may be headed in that direction. And, Amr, I, ha- I have the tables in front of me. And, by the way, our, our listeners can look at the tables themselves. And it's pretty interesting. I mean, some of it's a little opaque. But I think, you know, you, you can go to www.bea.gov and uh, follow the links there on the right. That's the Bureau of Economic Analysis at the Commerce Department. And, and here's something I'm 
kept seeing durable goods purchases. Now, now that's a fancy way of saying buying stuff that's meant to last a while. Right. Your flat screen screen TV, your washing machine, your car. That's down 14.1%. That strikes me as a massive fall. Right. One note of caution is that generally the durable goods number can be very volatile, meaning it just goes way up and way down. But I think you're on to something. And that, that something is think about how people buy durable goods, cars, washing machines. A lot of them use credit to buy these goods. So you can imagine that if people are having a hard time getting financing for a car or for a washing machine, or they can't use credit cards, or they've lost access to their home equity line of credit, that's exactly where you would see it in durable goods consumption. And that seems to be exactly what's going on. And then, and and actually, if you dig even further down and look into motor vehicles, uh, it's fallen even farther. Non-durable goods, which just means everything you buy that you consume within a couple years, that's down 6%. So basically, people buying physical things is way, way down. There's a tiny uptick in people buying services like, well, doctor's visits and paying your lawyer and school and anything like that. So it's it's actually the, the picture of actual physical stuff, what we think of when we think of personal spending, that's even that's down much farther than this negative three percent you talked about. Right, exactly, exactly. When I talk to people through the blog, I see people coming on and posting. What they're saying almost to a one is they don't feel like it's safe to buy anything. Some of them even say that, given the atmosphere, it feels almost wrong or profligate to buy anything. Right. I mean, I think basically the way we think is the way economists think about the way people consume is the number one determinant, uh, it shouldn't be surprising, is what you believe your income is going to be going forward. So if you're worried about getting laid off or you're worried that the economy is generally going to get so bad uh, that, you know, your job is at stake or your husband or wife's job is at stake, then naturally you're going to feel, well, you know what, I should start cutting back in preparation for bad times ahead. Another question I'm asked a lot is, is it a recession and and do we care whether or not it's a recession? So, I mean, negative – the rule of thumb that most people have been taught is a recession is two quarters or six straight months of negative growth. We now have one quarter, three straight months. But for you economists, that's just a rule of thumb. That's not the actual definition of a recession, right? That's true. So the actual dating of recession is done by the National Bureau of Economic Research. And uh, there are faculty members here who are on that. Right. It's like a committee of 10 or 12 people who get together every once in a while, every few years and and say, boy, was that a recession? They might not get together for another six months or a year from now. Exactly. And they do, in terms of what's different than the rule of thumb, I think one of the things that is often maybe not understood as well is they very carefully look at employment numbers too. So, uh, you know, even if it's, if GDP only contracts for one quarter, if unemployment spikes through the roof, they'll still call that a recession. So it's more than just, but it's a good rule of thumb. I think, you know, that if there are two quarters of contraction in a row, that's a pretty good sign we're in recession. Um, Again, all of these are just terms to get at the simple notion that the economy is not utilizing its resources, meaning labor, capital, people, in an efficient manner, that there's, there's output that should be happening that's not happening. That's kind of what we mean by a recession. It's important to note that Amr told us that nothing legally happens when you suddenly start using the word recession. There's recession? No, yeah, recession. Nothing right. happens. Nothing happens. You, there's no emergency plan. There's no 
government action that occurs, but politicians and other people really are anxious to use the word. They don't want to scare consumers out of buying things. See, the problem, though, is that a lot of people, and you are writing into the blog with a vengeance, a lot of you have good reason to be afraid you guys are losing jobs and you're looking at other people losing jobs. You're worried about your 401k. We here at Planet Money strongly recommend don't look at your 401k. I looked. You looked. I looked a few weeks ago and I've stopped looking. Our next guest, this is a listener, George Graves of Bally Kenwood, Pennsylvania, um, He's at an age where he really is thinking it's time to retire, and he doesn't know if he can. And that's why George Graves made an economist house call. I was just looking at my uh, portfolio today, and I see that I've lost more money than it currently has. So it's down well over 50%. And I don't know that I've got enough to live on unless I die pretty quickly. Well, we don't want that to happen. Are, are you working now, or are no, you? No, I'm not. What What did you do? Uh, I was uh, chief technologist for a, a uh, cable shopping network. Uh, QVC was the name of the network. And and, and when did you uh, when when did you at I, least retire the first time? <laughs> I retired in 2004, and uh, that year I went to uh, India and Sri Lanka, and was sitting on the edge of the ocean when the tsunami came. So uh, I know a little bit about what, you know, disaster looks like, but I'm not sure I'm prepared for this. That was a short-term disaster. This is a long-term disaster. And do you not – right now you don't have enough – you don't have to give us too much detail, but you don't have enough in the bank? I can give you precisely the detail. All I right. Have, uh, uh, last November we had over a million dollars uh, in our stock account. Today we have – uh, $453,000 in our uh, uh, mutual funds, and we have, uh, we're down to our last $3,000 in the bank. So, you know, I'm going to have to liquidate mutual funds at, you know, half off or two-thirds off or do something, get a job. So, Simon, I think there's an awful lot of people, in fact, my parents and many others who are facing this. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm 38, so I just sort of figure... I got 25, 30 years before I'm going to need this money. I'm just going to keep putting money into my 401k and assume that eventually the market will sort itself out. But George doesn't have that luxury of waiting a few decades. What, yeah, what, I'm going to need it. I'm 61. Uh, I've got you know four years before or five years before Social Security kicks in. Uh, we live modestly already, but at some point in the future, I'm going to have to have a new car and so forth. And I just don't know what to do. So I, I do want to just say quickly, Simon, we promised you that we will not be doing personal financial advice. We're not going to recommend what stocks to buy. or But but I do think that this is a great opportunity to place George and, and millions of others' situation in the global context, in the economic context. What do you say to George? Well, I, I say the same thing as, as I said to my, my father-in-law, who's in a very, very similar position, uh, which is, you know, what, what do you need to get by? How much, uh, you know, what's your cash flow uh, look like? And very much, you know, like, like, like a business, what really matters at this stage is, uh, you know, are, are you, how much, you know, what's your burn rate, as they call it in, in uh-huh, startups? Right. How much cash do you need per month? Uh, and how do, how do you see the financing of that? Obviously, what, what we're hoping is that the stock market um, 
is is going to come back. We don't know the time frame of that, <laughs> that's, right? That's so great encouragement, Simon. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm trying to be honest here, uh, George. Um, it's it's very tough, and stock markets are down all, all around the world. Are your investments just stock, George? You also hold bonds. No, they're all mutual funds, but they're all equity funds. All equity. So, Which yeah. I, I think I can come out and say, George, that, that most financial advisors, which we are not, would have encouraged you a few years ago to, at your age not to have all of it in equities. That, That's correct. Yeah. And, and, and we didn't. <laughs> but then our, uh, we had some unexpected burn, as uh, Simon would call it, and we didn't have enough cash out of the bank. Uh, as I looked at uh, our future... I kept asking people in our neighborhood who are financial in the in the financial uh, markets. Uh, some of them are fund managers. Some of them are uh, financial advisors, and they all kept assuring me that the uh, end was near. You know, it was almost over. Uh, and uh, I heard I've read it in the in the uh, reports in the in the uh, money. Uh, columns and and you know the end is near. You know it's almost over. We should recover any day now. And then a month ago, we found out that the end may be near, but in a bad way rather than a good way. No, no, let's let's not get carried away, George. It's not, <laughs> that kind of end is not not approaching. It is not that, because you're holding diversified stocks through these, these mutual funds. It's not the case that they're all right. going to go to zero. Okay, That's if you were holding individual stocks, individual companies, I might be a little bit more a little bit more worried. Um, but I think because you're holding these mutual funds, and, and I'm assuming that, that, that you know they're pretty diversified and you're pretty diversified, uh, you know some of the, some of this stuff is is, is going to come back. Then we don't know the timing, George, is the problem, right? right? And so the question is, you know, what do the, what do the next five years uh, look like? You know, you should go to do a little bit of scenario planning, um, which I'm doing with very various friends of, of mine. Um, you know, if 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 things get worse, uh, how do we handle that? If things get a little bit better, how do we handle that? Um, and I'm, I'm afraid that we have to be very careful. All of us have to be careful not to suffer a failure of imagination um, in, in these circumstances. I'm not negative. I'm not a pessimist at all. But I do think we have to think about these uh, these contingencies. Simon, I, I wanted to ask, are we looking at a situation where we have a group of people who have in some ways sort of come out on the short end of the stick of our of our nation's new way of funding retirement? In other words, we started down the road of saying now everyone is going to plan for their retirement by investing in, in the stock market, and that went on for a couple of decades, and now we're going to have to reconsider how we're doing that, and people like George are just on the short end of the stick? A little bit, uh, Laura, but I think we, we also – I mean, there was a decision that was made um, – to keep Social Security and to keep Social Security from from being tied um, too closely to the stock market. I mean, it's only it's tied through because you've got to worry about you know how how the government finances do. But that, that's a pretty indi- indirect uh, tying. So we encourage people to save more uh, and to provide more, but we also have the social safety net um, of of Social Security. And I think that at this point that looks like a good combination. If we had taken all of that money and invested in the stock market uh, right now, I think we, we'd be a bit, a bit more worried. The U.S. is going to come through this. You know, we're looking at a two to three year recession. Uh, the rest of the world will struggle, I think, a bit more. But the U.S. is going to come through because U.S. Uh, government doesn't do crazy things. Government, U.S. government will stick to sensible policies. And we've got to stay the course uh, with, with our, with our uh, investment strategies, too. All right. So, so I'm just going to summarize by saying, George, um, long term, good news. Short term, it, it sounds like you have some tough, tough decisions to make, huh? Right, and we diversified also by buying a couple of rental properties in Florida. Uh, no, no, actually, they're in, in Philadelphia, so they're in a prime location. But uh, you know, and they're bringing in uh, rental income, but we can't liquidate those for cash now either. 
Well, I, I think if I just throw in there, George, rental properties maybe I mean, outside of certain <laughs> certain uh, states may actually be a pretty, uh, pretty good thing to be holding right now because we do think people are going to delay, bu- delay purchasing homes. And if you've got a, you know, a, a prime uh, location, that might be a nice sort of source of cash flow for you. So I'm not sure I would rush uh, to, to liquidate the, that, that part of your portfolio at all. Great. George Graves, thank you so much, and, and good luck. I think um, hope, hopefully you'll, you'll see, at least in a few years, the, those values coming back. <laughs> okay. All right. Th- thanks, thanks very much. Thanks to Simon Johnson for another great Economist house call. Keep those stories coming. We're going to do more with Simon Johnson. We love him. Uh, just write us write to us at planetmoney at npr.org. Also, visit Simon's website, BaselineScenario.com. And very special thanks to our own Josh Rogeson, who's an engineer here. He's engineering us right this minute. And he's also a phenomenal musician and the Economist house call it's him. theme singer. Adam, I think that's it. I think we're done. I think we have finished. All right, then. I'm Laura Conaway. Keep an eye on the blog. We have an update in there from Scott Newman, who talks all about Bretton Woods. If you don't know what it is, you need to know. People are calling for another Bretton Woods. You might as well find out what the first one was. Lots of debate going on on the blog about whether to spend money. I'm going to go spend some money on dinner right now. We're at npr.org slash money. 